0: When you're looking for favorite writers online, it can often be difficult to find ones that are really worth following. There's a lot of voices that are simplistic, boring, or too reactionary in their thinking. One of my favorite writers to follow over the last few years has been Bethel McGrew. She previously wrote under the pen name, Estra O'Reilly. I'm excited to have her on today's episode to talk about her story as a writer, her writing process, and other topics related to uh, current events and culture. Dr. Bethel McGrew is a math PhD, high school teacher, and widely published freelance writer. Her articles have appeared in many Christian and mainstream outlets, including First Things, The Spectator, National Review, Plow, and more. She has also contributed two essay anthologies on the work of Jordan Peterson. She currently maintains a Patheos blog called Young Foggy and a newsletter called Further Up, which is one of the top 20 faith newsletters on Substack. I appreciate you guys, the audience, here on Filter so much. I want to continue to bring you better quality as well as more content. So I'm excited to share with you guys that you can now send in voicemails to Filter to share your thoughts and reflections on our episodes. If you've ever ever been listening to one of my conversations with a guest and you've had a question or thought pop into your head, you can now send in that question or thought through voice messages. This is going to be awesome because I want to be able to hear from you guys, but it's also going to be great because I will be sharing select uh, voicemails in future bonus episodes that I will interact with, answer if there are questions or respond to if there are comments or other general feedback. I'm really looking forward to this and excited to be able to do it. And so send in your questions and reflections through the link that is included in the show notes and description below so that you can leave up to a one minute voice message. You can also leave feedback and questions by commenting on social media posts uh, or YouTube or responding in the questions uh, feature on Spotify. I really look forward to getting these feedback questions and comments from you guys and interacting with them in those future episodes that I'll be releasing soon. Before we dive into this episode, let me just take one more moment to encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get all of our newest content sent directly into your inbox. Just visit the link in the show notes and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you're subscribed to filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all future episodes right on your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave filter a five-star rating on Spotify, and if you would take the time to write a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd really help us out as well. Whenever you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Doctor Bethel McGrew. Bethel, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Aaron. Great to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you on. It's been uh, it, it's been something I've been looking forward to, and uh, so I decided to finally reach out and see if you'd want to come on. And I'll admit, I was a little nervous because uh, a few months ago I had almost revealed your true identity on Twitter, and uh, you were frantically messaging me. <laughs> and whenever I realized what I had done, I felt horrible. You you are uh, not felt...
1: the first one, though. It's okay. Like, it's actually you you were you were not the first nor nor the worst near miss. So don't feel too bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I, I felt awful about it, and uh, but you were you were really gracious, and uh, so I was like, All right, I'm going to reach out, and you know, I hope that I didn't. Uh, uh, didn't miss out. Oh, your capital. Out, you no, no. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, but anyway, you know, been looking forward to it. Uh I, I love your writing, been loving uh following your, your growth as a writer. Um yeah, I think I, I started following you right before you got onto pathos Pathios. Um and so uh yeah, it's just been, been great and, and enjoyable to wow, so see. You,
1: you followed me for like for the whole three three and a half years or so now that it's it's been roughly that feels weird. That's been quite an eventful few years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we originally got connected through your dad uh, because I was talking to him about Jordan Peterson. And then he passed me on to you. He said, Sorry. "He said, here, you really need to talk to Bethel. <laughs> she, he was like, she's, she's the one you need to talk to. And so that's how we got connected. And then um, now I learned about your writing. But anyway, l- let's talk about that. You used to write under a, uh, under a pen name. Uh, named estra o'reilly uh so you had the secret identity that you're writing behind uh you're kind of like batman and you uh grew in popularity and then only recently i think it was uh how how long ago was it about four or five Uh, months ago
1: uh, either october november last fall
0: yeah you uh you had a, a coming out piece where you revealed your your true identity and uh and now you're writing under your your true name. So anyway, what what was that experience like going from uh your your undercover name to your real one, uh revealing your true identity to the world and uh and so on. What was that like?
1: Well, I mean the the, the buildup was pretty nerve-wracking, uh, just because it was something I'd been thinking about for a really long time and um always felt like I would want to do it eventually. I just was waiting for the right moment. Um, so 2021 was a significant year for me in a a few different ways. It was the year that I, uh, graduated, um, wrapped up my PhD in math. And it was also the year that I landed my first job, um, teaching at a, a small high school. So, um, I had kept my identity under wraps for all that time because it felt like my future was sort of in flux as far as where exactly I was going to go, what exactly I was going to do. So I was trying to keep all of my different options open because um, that's just my personality. I'm a, a naturally very cautious, risk-averse kind of a person. Um, and I be- I first began writing way back when I was uh, 18, I think. And it was my own folks who advised me to, to take a pen name then because they knew that I wanted to uh, – try and write about some political topics. And they were like, listen, you know, you don't know where you're going to go. You're thinking you might want to go into academia. So, um, you know, don't take an unnecessary risk and put this stuff out under your own name, which was wise at the time, I think. So, I mean, at that very early stage, it was just a fun little kind of hobby for me. Um, and I remember like the first time that I got a freelance paycheck I wrote something for the stream, and it was like, "Whoa! I just got 150 bucks in the mail to write an article. This is amazing, you know." Um, and so, but then it was 2018 that I uh, began to get more traction with the joining Pathos and with my writing around Jordan Peterson, which is when we connected. Um, so that when that piece went viral, that sort of set off a little bit of a cascade. At different doors started opening and I started to, um, get in at different, you know, different magazines, different outlets and expanding the range of things I wanted to write about besides Peterson and the IDW, because, um, people wanted to know what I had to write about that, but I wanted to talk about lots of things. I had all kinds of cultural commentary and, and stuff to get out. Um, and then I hopped on the substat bandwagon last year. So, um, you know, putting together the fact that my platform was growing, that I, I, you know, I thinking a lot about status, you know, the, the status game around this, like, how important was it to me to keep my identity quote, if the price was that people still just saw me as basically a, a, an anonymous blogger, um, because I felt like increasingly as I was weighing in on, you know, these big social issues, um, and COVID, COVID changed a lot. Um, the whole vaccine debate, which like we don't have to get into, but that's something I became personally invested in um, because my mother was vaccine injured, and it was something that I increasingly felt like I had to speak up about. So that was one factor among many in there. They felt like you know maybe it's probably better if I'm just uh, fully integrated so that I can put be completely honest with people. Like you know yeah, this is I have a personal stake in this, but that's that's not why I've reached the conclusions I have, but I should probably start being more open about that. Um, And then I think just generally feeling like I should just take ownership of what I write. um, And, you know, that if I could get to a place of, of some security job wise, which I I feel like I am at currently, although, you know, who, who knows what the future might hold that I would have kind of a responsibility to speak uh, for other people who, still have to be in the closet. Uh, you know, that, that's, that was something I, I came to, to feel was important and just feeling like I didn't want to be a fragmented person. I didn't want to be a compartmentalized person. I wanted to, I wanted the writers, me, the, the writer, me, the teaching me, all these different parts of me to, to be, to be unified. Yeah. Um, so, but that was that. It took me a long time to get there, and then the actual process of doing it um, was surprisingly very liberating um, and very encouraging. Because all kinds of people came out with positive messages, encouraging me, uh, you know, telling me how proud they were that I take I taken the step. Um, it also felt really good to be able to thank a lot of people because as I wrote that piece, I kept thinking of all the different people who'd played a role in my growth as a writer and encouraging me over the years so it was cool to put that all in in one place and go like wow i have a long list of great people to thank um so um really it's it's been it's been positive uh now you know maybe five years from now the other shoe is going to drop and i'm going to be canceled and wind up destitute and homeless but i don't know you're like we'll see but but for now i'm i'm loving it it's great
0: yeah yeah, and the the article that you wrote whenever you were uh, coming out with your true identity really was, a, it, it was a beautiful piece. Oh, thank uh, so you. So well-written. Yeah, it, it was really, really incredible. And um, yeah, and so I, I can see that it must have been a really, really, um, a process that was a lot more than just a professional decision. But yeah, there's definitely some really personal aspects to it that were interplaying with the decision and, and wrestling uh, and how there's, I I can hear even in what your story, there was somewhat of like a, like really who am I and who do I want to be in this? Because it was more than just a pen name, but it was kind of like a, like you said, I think that's interesting. Yeah. It's almost two identities that you were, um, a little bit personas you were, you were living with.
1: Right. And, you know, even when I had the persona, I tried, um, I always tried to think carefully, like, you know, am I saying something as Esther that I, that I wouldn't say as me, you know, am I, um, am I really, I mean, am I creating this as like a, a, a repository for something, you know, which occasionally people would sort of accuse me of that and be like, well, you've, you've chosen to, to do this anonymous thing where you just whatever. And I would think, okay, is that what I'm doing? And I would try to ask myself that honestly, And I really don't think so because I am naturally a very forthright personality. I mean, anybody who knows me in real life knows that I'm, I mean, it was always pretty WYSIWYG. It was always pretty. What you see is what you get. Um, And I feel like now that I've, I've come out and I don't, I don't think my tweeting has changed that much. You know, maybe I'm a a little more, you know, you you mature, you grow as in the natural course of things, but I was pretty forthright then. I'm pretty forthright now. Um, but I didn't. I, I I did feel like I needed to shed the fear. I needed to shed the the anxiety. And I had a, a, an interesting exchange um, with my mother because as I was thinking about this, playing with this idea earlier in the year, she you know she was very supportive. Like you know you do do what you feel like you want to do. But she was kind of asking me like, but why would you though? I mean you know what's your what what's the risk reward analysis? What would you gain from from coming out? Um, and then. If, couple months after I'd done it, she came back to me and she said, I, I get it now. I really understand because she, she said, I always raised you, your father and I always raised you to um you know to that that you need to have courage, you know, you need to approach life with courage. You need to need to live in a fearless way. And as I think about it now I see how this was a part of that for you. And that was something that you needed to do, something you had to take into your own hands, a step you had to take. And it was a part of coming of age in some sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And courage is one of my favorite topics. It's one that I uh, speak on and write on frequently. Uh, And so what did you learn about fear and courage through that experience? Well,
1: I think... Yeah. So, I mean, I think this, this goes back to my, my personality in general of to just um, always wanting to be in control. Uh, you know, I was a very good chess player when I was a kid. So um, I, I got used to being able to analyze things 10 steps ahead and be able to kind of plan for every eventuality. So um, I had been I'd been viewing my life like a chess game. In, in that sense where it's it's like, okay, if I go there and he goes there and I go there, but then I'm okay because on move eight, I have this little tactic I could do. Phew, Okay. Now I have that all squared away. Um, and life is not like that. Uh, you know, re- real life is, is, is unpredictable. There are things you have to leave in the hands of God. Um, so the, this step was, was me sort of coming to terms with that. Um, and just saying, you know, yeah, I can't predict, the future with perfect clarity. I can't analyze this all the way out to to move ten. Um, there are things that, that I'm just not going to know uh, about what this decision could mean down the road. And meanwhile, there probably are certain types of doors that are going to close, certain types of jobs that um, you know are going to be trickier for for me to land at this point. Um, on the other hand, maybe those aren't the kinds of jobs that I, I would have been trying to get anyway um but i think it was it was it was bound up with specifically as a christian with needing to entrust my future to god um and just accept the fact that we don't always know what's going to happen and then take it a step at a time and trust that god is going to uh Guide me and use me wherever he wants me to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think that's usually where courage lies. It lies in God calling us into some kind of an unknown mm-hmm. uh, or uh, calling yeah, us into man. a that's, step that Jordan is Jordan
1: Peterson voice.
0: or calling us into your
1: fear your fear of the (laughs) unknown you have to slay the dragon of your future man
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not i can't even attempt to impersonate him it would just be uh it would be awful but but yeah uh yeah peterson all the way but yeah you know calling us into an unknown or uh into like you said a dragon a fear and then the adventure
1: uh, the adventure of the future yeah yeah
0: And then, and then courage is in our responsibility to take that step then to, to, to heed the call. And so, uh, and so that's what you did. That's great. Uh, I love your writing. Uh, your writing style is, is excellent. I wish that I could write as half as well as you do. Uh, what have been some of your primary writing influences? How did, who, and yeah, who formed you as a writer?
1: That's, that's a really great question. Um, yeah. Cause, cause there, there were a number of different writers that I read growing up. Um, you know, one one name I come back to as I, as I think about this is Peggy Noonan. Um, she was Ronald Reagan's speechwriter back in the day, uh, became a, became a columnist. And, um, I, I remember reading a biography she did of Reagan that impacted me a lot when I was a kid. And, uh, I, yeah, I really, I really like her style. She was very, um, very lyrical, very earnest, um, very, you know, just, just sort of unabashed admirer of, um, of great men of truth and goodness and beauty. And she, yeah, she just always had a, a great way of, um, of setting those things up. So I would definitely point to her, um, let me think. Lewis, obviously, yeah. I, I mean, kind of a cliched answer, but um, definitely it, it, the way I think about cultural evangelism, cultural apologetics, um, trying to try to take true things and then, you know, encapsulate them in an engaging way. I, you know, you really can't beat Lewis, and so he's somebody I go back to again and again yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely lots of others that I could think of, but whenever somebody asks me, I tend to kind of blank out and give cliche answers, but those are just like two, (laughs) two biggies that come to mind.
0: Yeah. No, good ones. Good ones indeed. Um, yeah. And I can definitely see some of Lewis's influence in the way that you do cultural engagement and evangelism. So, so that's not just cliche. I can, I can see that. Uh, I think that's a good answer. How would you describe what is like your unique voice though? My what what, what is it that you're going for when you write a piece, whether it be on cultural analysis, one of your uh film critiques? Uh, because we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but like you you write on a really wide range of topics, issues, and so on. So, like, what's the voice that you go for that you've discovered as you've grown as a writer?
1: And you mentioned film, which reminds me, I also love Roger Ebert. Um, so definitely, as I, yeah, when I write film criticism, I'm always going back and uh, looking at his stuff to to remind myself how he would turn the review, so that's a really good question because I've always been um, kind of a, a mimic in my life. So I've always kind of had this ability to to pull out all different hats and just try them on, um, because I, I'm just sort of insatiably curious, and I'll, I'll kind of fall into you know ten different niches in the span of three minutes, um, so. I mean, what voice I'm going for, it can be context-dependent. It can depend on what audience I'm writing to, what what kind of thing I, it is that I'm writing, um, because, because it does vary. So for, for cultural analysis, um, first of all, am I writing to the church or am I writing to um, an eclectic, maybe non-church audience? So, um, you know, if I'm writing if I'm writing cultural analysis for the church, then I'm trying to be, um, i try to be informative, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of get to the heart of the issue. Um, I like to sort of cut through jargon. That's something that characterizes all my writing. I, I, I really dislike um, wasting time with jargony things. I, I want to state things as clearly as possible. Um, I want to lay out issues as, as honestly as possible and be like, okay, well, what's, what's really going on here? What are we really, what are we, what are we really looking at? Um, And, you know, that can step on toes a little bit because sometimes it it involves calling people out and saying like, okay, so-and-so just is dishonest. Like, Like this, this person really is, you know, disingenuous or whatever. And I'm, you know, I can, I'm willing to name names occasionally when I do that. So, you know, Sometimes people will say that's bad tone or whatever. Um, But, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do in in that sense.
0: Um,
1: But then some of my favorite things that I write are um, kind of swing free of of culture war stuff where where I'm just um, I'm telling a story. You know, maybe I'm um, telling a story that a friend shared with me or I'm uh, thinking about something inspiring that I saw in the news or I'm doing some some literary reflection or more sin cinema reflection, film criticism. Um and that that's one of my favorite writing to do because I really love, you know, human interest stuff. Like I just I, I love thinking about what makes people tick. Um s- sort of meditating on human nature and, you know, all of all of the, the glorious and beautiful but also terrible things about us. Um and you know, fiction was really my first love growing up. I, I read a lot of that under my mom's teaching because mom has a PhD in literature. Um so in some ways I, I write nonfiction like a frustrated fiction writer. Um that you know, that's that's what I tell people. I channel some frustrated fiction writing energy into my nonfiction. Um so, you know I I will like I'm willing to write the more culture worry stuff because I do think there's a place for it and I, I am good at it because I am I am good at that kind of analysis but it's it, it's a little bit taxing and it's not necessarily my favorite kind of thing to write and people can sometimes come away with the impression that um, that I'm a pugilist that that I like to go out looking for debates or looking for a fight um, when it's really it's really more complicated than that it's you know it's just that I, I have different hats I have these different tools. I think I'm able to help the church. In, in in some of that that I do. But I try as much as possible to make it not be the only thing I do because I sometimes do see people where that's all they do. That's all they think about. It's all they write all the time. And I mean, I'm not saying that they're in bad faith or anything, but um, I do occasionally want to maybe suggest, hey, you know, have you like considered, I don't know, just taking the day off, going and reading some poetry or something? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I imagine that kind of a life would, and yeah, I don't want to ascribe anything to anyone else or assume, but it just, it seems like it would have to hollow you out at a certain point.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially when you consider
0: that that like 98% of our culture wars exist purely online. Yeah. And as soon as you get off of Twitter, you're surrounded by the real world and real people and these relationships that are infinitely more valuable to you than any uh, retweets and reactionary (laughs) arguments and so on. And uh, and those things are so much more filling to the soul. That, that's what I find is that I feel like the the days or weeks where, you know, at the end of the week, I realize I've spent way too much time on social media this week. It The best way I can describe the experience is like, it feels like my chest is hollowed out. Mm. Like it was sucking something out of me that I should have been looking for in the real world and the real relationships around me. And those things actually fill me. So... I yeah, agree with you. I, I don't see how someone could purely live in that, uh, in that world.
1: Yeah. And to, to a degree, I try to draw on those kinds of things as a way to kind of feed back into my writing. And so, um, especially like, so for my Substack, there's a, there's a free tier and then a paid tier. Um, so I tend to use the paid tier for more kind of evergreen reflections, personal essays, stuff that's not so tied to the news cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I write those kinds of pieces, i'll I'll sometimes kind of dip into um you know personal reflections. So like the last thing I wrote, I did something for Ash Wednesday um, about prayer, and I was writing about just um sort of the the nature and the how quiet it is where I live. I live kind of outside town in a, a little rural spot, and uh you know, I talked about praying and and how I use silence. As a, a backdrop for that, um, occasionally I'll write about, you know, something sweet or profound that a person said to me in real life, and I'll work that in. So yeah. you can um, you can draw inspiration from that as a writer, and uh, it just it enriches your work that way.
0: Yeah, one of our mutual friends, Tom Gilson. I remember he. Uh, I was in a little workshop session that he did on writing a long time ago. And he said that uh, he said that the best writers are people who just go out searching for experience. Yeah. Yep. And then they write out of that experience. And I think that's so true and uh, re- resonates. And I'm reminded of that and what you had uh, just shared. Uh, but talking about writing method, what, what's your writing method? Uh, how do you choose topics to write on? We uh, already touched on that a little bit. Um, but choosing topics to write on or... This one I'm going to pass on, where to publish, when yeah. do you write? I mean, just, you know, the nuts and bolts of how you go about uh, putting your pieces up.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, right, it varies because there, there's there's a couple different kinds of things that, um, that I try to keep up. So, let's see. Well, okay, just thinking about like a typical week. So, like this week, I've, I've got three upcoming things that I want to get out. Was hoping to get out before break. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But so for my Pathos blog, which I'll be honest, I've been kind of neglecting more and more because I've shifted a lot of my energy to the Substack. Um, but in my mind, I've sort of taken to using the Pathos as a place to write about um, church culture war stuff, and then for my Substack, because I have an audience that's not necessarily really plugged in and doesn't really care about that kind of thing, I pitch things to more of a general audience um so for my pathos this week um i think i'm going to write something about some of these uh this the new leaked stuff with francis collins um and you know like some of these candid comments that he was making about abortion research and covid mandates and all that sort of stuff yeah So, so i i have in my kind of a take there about um some of the evangelicals who enabled him and then kind of the broader pattern that I see of evangelicals wanting to have a seat at the table and how we saw that with Trump, with, with one kind of evangelical tribe. And now I think we're seeing that with Collins with a different evangelical tribe. And so they're really kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, But, uh, and, and that's kind of a take that I don't really see people making. So that's one big thing. Like I try to think about, okay, what's something that I can say here that other people aren't saying already you know
0: Mm -hmm. what's something
1: i yeah that that's it's not it's going to be something fresh it's going to bring something new to the discourse so i'm thinking about that for my pathos um and then at the same time i want to write something about uh the don't say gay bill for the american reformer um so that's more of a site for uh like meta commentary cultural criticism um so you know like the kind of thing carl truman might write so um that that's a space that I haven't written in before, but they're new and growing and I like what they're doing. Um, So that's something I want to do. I want to kind of keep my my finger on the pulse of some of these big changes. And again, there's lots of takes flying around about that bill currently. And so I want to talk about the sort of modern liberal response uh, to the bill. Like, well, what does this bill really do? Um, is it really a big deal or not? How should conservatives think about it? Um, how should we respond to a certain way of framing it? Um, and what does this say about some broader fissures in our culture wars? So, you know, that, that's that kind of a piece. Um, yeah. and then for my sub stack, I want to write, cause I, I'm kind of due to write another paid thing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, the the propaganda wars with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And there was one one moment in particular that was really moving. It was one of these early viral clips where people thought that it was a Ukrainian father saying goodbye to his little girl. Um, And then it turned out it was mislabeled and it was actually a Russian father sending his family back to Russia before going to fight against Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, like, it's the exact same clip, but the whole frame – shifts, the whole narrative shifts. You go back and you watch it again. How does how does it change? How does it change your emotions, your reactions? Does it make the clip I does it make the clip different? And um, you know, especially as a Christian, how how does one think about it? And how does one think about um Russia and and the Russian people in general and the, the whole the tragedy of of this conflict? So uh, you know, I haven't really my, my thoughts on that are still kind of foggy. A lot of times, to be honest, I, I just sort of sit down in front of a black a blank page with a hazy idea of what I want to write, and I kind of noodle around and tap out some paragraphs and then delete some things and reshuffle other things uh, until I have what I want to say. But yeah. I kind of want to sort of write something more from the heart about that. Um, oh, and then also I'm putting like some last tweaks on – something I'm writing for plow magazine, uh, cause they're going to do some music related pieces coming up this spring. And, um, I got asked if I wanted to write something about Rich Mullins, who's one of my favorite. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Great singer songwriter. And yeah, I've somebody... seen your,
0: your previous articles about him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so it's interesting. I, I feel like I can really, you were talking about how I've grown as a writer. So, um, I can sort of measure my growth as a writer by looking at, um, kind of the evolution of Rich Mullins tributes that I've written over the years, because I can like, Oh, I wrote that at that phase and that, you know? Uh, so this one that I've written is definitely my, my most mature yet. So it's, it's great to kind of revisit his catalog and his life and, and plunge back into all of that. Um, you know, now with, with, you know, kind of a more seasoned eye, um, you know, being able to, to frame my thoughts in, you know, maybe a slightly less breathless way uh, cause, cause that was one, um, one fault that I had in my early years as a writer was, was that I, like everything was an 11 out of 10. And if I thought something was great, it was the greatest thing ever in the whole <laughs> entire world since the dawn yeah. of time, you know? Uh, so yeah. I've, I've, I've learned to kind of, you know, sort of pull it back, be a little bit more measured, um, get my thoughts a little more organized, you know? So that, that's just part of growing as a writer. Um. So then, but then with the Rich Mullins thing, that's part of keeping my creative um, interests going as a writer. Like I always want to be writing about something in the arts, you know, if it's whether it's music or film or yeah. literature. Um So always want to have that kind of simmering on the side. So yeah. that's that's a sort of a, a typical slice, um, a typical week in, in my writing life.
0: Yeah. How many hours a week do you, do you spend writing?
1: That's, that's a really good question. um, Because it can vary, you know, sometimes I can go a couple of weeks, uh, writing hardly anything, or maybe writing only one thing. um, And then I'll have a week where I suddenly get some time and I write three things in a row. So, uh, you know, the nature of freelance work is it's really sporadic and all over the place. Um, But, uh, you know, I would say that a if in a week where I'm getting any writing done at all, probably it takes me, you know, maybe 10, 12 hours to get a couple good pieces together. It generally yeah. takes a little more time than I plan on. So sometimes I'll sit down all confident, like, oh, I'm just going to knock this piece out tonight, and publish it in the morning. And then I realize, no, nope, I need to take <laughs> a little more time yeah. with this, but it's it's okay. I can publish it the day after that. But, uh, So, you know, you you get cocky when you're experienced, but it's like, no, even even with experience, some things take take some time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I love or hate when that happens to you as a writer. uh, You have something in your mind that you're like, oh, I've already got this. I've got the outline. I've got my big points. I've got my uh, my really catchy phrases. And then you sit down and it all falls apart.
1: Yep. But I find (laughs) sometimes
0: the opposite happens.
1: Yes, exactly. I I do find though this is um you know a f- few other people feel this way too. But beginning could sometimes be the the trickiest part for me. And like once I have once I have my hook um my you know my way in first few lines first paragraph, then the rest of it tends to to sort of come together for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. It for me, I, I always see it as like I, I just need a really long warm up. Mm. You know, so, uh, so fitness is a big part of my life aside from, uh, ministry and writing and podcasting. And so, you know, you always, you warm up before you exercise and I've just learned in myself over the years, um, even when it comes to like writing sermons for the church that I'm a pastor of, um, I just need a really long warm up. I just have to sit there and like you said before, kind of stare at a blank screen, (laughs) try a couple of different introductions and the magic usually hits. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I said long warm up. The magic usually hits for me at about 45 minutes. Yes. If I can just endure for about 45 minutes of feeling like a failure, <laughs> then <laughs> something starts to happen. Right. But uh, But yeah. 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 Uh, and
1: also, like with hopefully you have a better sleep schedule than I do, but I have a terrible sleep schedule, and um, often inspiration strikes at like literally the middle of the night. And so, you know, it'll it'll be one in the morning and I'm three quarters of the way done. <laughs> you know, it's just clickety-clackety-clack. And then I it was like, and I kind of squint at the clock. I'm like, eh, it'll be another five hour night. Oh, well, I you know, I've done that before. It's like, it's really not sustainable or good for me. So I know that I'm going to have to get it together here um, because I, I could do so much more if I slept more maybe couldn't we all
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know if only yeah my inspiration usually hits like right in the middle of me doing something or taking care of my kids yeah you know so like oh i can't get away and write right now because i'm taking care of them but anyway well that's
1: when you pull out your phone you, you make like a little voice memo or something <laughs> yeah so you, i mean I if, if it's yeah yeah
0: yeah um but you you're mentioning on uh, a few minutes ago you're working on a piece with uh Russia and ukraine and uh and so that, obviously that 's a big headline right now uh, and i don 't want us to spend time on culture wars or real wars too much uh, but just i I am interested because uh because you 're one of my favorite voices to um, you know hear this kind of commentary on uh, what your been his take what oof, i messed up that sentence what your take has been uh, lately on not just the conflict itself but particularly um the propaganda aspect and then how people have been reacting to it and interpreting it, uh, online, the different major leading voices. Uh, what's been your take on, on this whole situation we've been through and just, I think it's only been two weeks now.
1: Yeah. A lot has happened for sure. I mean, it's interesting to see how certain voices will, they began one way and then they sort of shifted. So I, I wrote something for the Substack about Tucker Carlson um, and, uh, and, and how he was at the very beginning of it, he was framing it as "Listen, American conservatives. This is like something that's happening way over there in Europe. It's not really like, what did Putin ever do to you? Let's talk about domestic culture war stuff instead. That's yeah. like the really relevant stuff to you at this point in time which seemed to me like a, a, really disingenuous way of framing it. Um, and so, I mean, I, I like some stuff that Tucker has said. Um, you know, he's, he can be good for owning the libs, uh, what, for whatever that's worth. But, um, the, the way that he, I, that, that was very, uh, it was a very clarifying moment for me, I think, and, and really sort of highlighted, um, the, this, this, corrupt demagogic aspect of his populism and how he's, he's just trying to say what people want to hear. Um, and trying to sort of, um, desensitize people to, to who Putin actually is and what Putin is actually doing. Um, and I mean, I hate to say it, but like, even Rod Dreher in the past has, has done a little bit of this thing, like, well, I'm not a fan of Putin, but, um, you know, at least he understands culture wars or at least he's he's good on that stuff while meanwhile uh we're doing this crazy gender identity stuff or whatever. And that's where I think some voices like Douglas Murray, for example, have been more more savvy and sensible, like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Like, he's totally Putin is totally corrupt. Putin doesn't care about culture wars. He's just, you know, these regimes like Russia and also China are playing the West. You know, they're they're using this as um as leverage for their own totally corrupt ends. Um so that's a blind spot that I've seen in certain corners of the right. Um and then in the integ- the integralist corners, so like Sora Rabamari and some of those kind of voices there's been weirdness there as well. Yeah. Um with like I, I don't want to say admiration because that that's too strong a word. Um but like this weird way that they would sort of look to Russia or look to China um, as like, well, at least they're doing this, at least they're, they're getting that right or whatever while overlooking, um, you know, for one thing, the brutal persecution of Christians um, of like non-establishment church Christians, um, which has been ongoing for decades and decades. And it's just yeah. awful. Um, so that, that, that's a frustration that I see, but um the problem then is that I also see it's it's it can be difficult to kind of thread this needle because I don't in fact think that we should go to war. I agree with the, um you know, the dovish voices who are saying, no, we shouldn't establish a no fly zone. We shouldn't send troops over there. We don't want to engage with a nuclear power. This is not wise or prudent. OK, I agree with that. But um it can be difficult to find people who are saying sensible things like that without also bleeding into, um, you know, semi excusing Putin or blaming the victim um, or saying that, that Ukraine is just as bad as Russia, as far as propaganda goes. And, you know, it's, it's not that like, I'm not saying that I, I know Ukraine is, is above propaganda. I mean, that, That may not be true. Maybe they have engaged in in some of their own propaganda, but at the same time, it is clear that that Putin is committing verifiable war crimes. You know, he he is committing verifiable monstrosities. And um, we should just be able to admit that without a, well, yeah, but, or without this weird kind of both sides thing that I, that I see at certain corners. Um, So I, I was just in a, a Twitter spaces last night with, um, Colin Redemer, who wrote something on just war American Reformer, um, and I liked the tone of that space. I, I thought I thought he was striking um, a good balance there. So, you know, my heart goes out to Zelensky. My heart goes out to the Ukrainian people as they as they fight for their their lives and their nation and their identity. Um, but um, at the same time, I and it, it's a tragic thing, but you know, it could be that Ukraine winds up being. The price paid for uh not entering a nuclear holocaust you know which sounds sounds very stark, but um Putin is so unpredictable that um I, there's only so much that that we can do and I just i mean I think in general I favor a generally cautious approach to entering global conflicts because historically that hasn't um that hasn't panned out the way that hopeful neocons might predict.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How would you describe your political perspective or affiliation?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think um I I'm a pretty classic conservative. Um I I grew up my so my my mom marched with Phyllis Schlafly back in the day. Uh, Ronald Reagan was her and my dad's first vote. I have a Reagan poster on my bedroom wall. So, uh, you know, I, I very much am kind of of a, a throwback to that old style, um, conservatism. So, you know, which means that I didn't, I didn't get on the Trump train. Um, and even before Trump, we were all kind of a family of purists, you know, we were like, but can we really, can we really vote for Romney? Can we really vote for McCain? Well, let's check. Oh, no, I don't like his record on embryonic stem cell researcher, you know, we we were pretty strict, like, you know, you had to, you had to really check a lot of boxes. So we were, we were certainly not going to get on the Trump train. That, that was never a danger for us. Um. So, um. but at the same time, I'm not really on the, the never Trump train either, you know, as, as in terms of how that's evolved. Um. I, I don't like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm the person who was a David French fangirl back in the day. And uh, definitely not anymore with with the the direction that he's gone. Um. So. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm very solidly conservative, and I dislike. I. I'm very troubled to see where the Republican Party is sort of drifting, um, and especially on th- social issues around sexuality. So, um, the whole. Um, the whole gay marriage thing, you know. After that ship sailed, it's sort of interesting to see how many conservatives have sort of invisibly drifted, so that now, um, you know, it's there's not really, I think, going to be much difference between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party going forward on on that whole um, cluster of issues. And so, but I'm I'm one of those purist conservatives who's like, well, I mean, yes, I agree that in practice, socially, the ship has sailed, but in principle it shouldn't have. Um, and you know, we should continue writing and speaking um on the assumption that it shouldn't have, and, and we shouldn't we shouldn't shift in that respect. Um, and then f- fiscally economically, I'm I'm also quite conservative. And so you know, when I listen to certain post-liberals the way that they talk, you know, they could be good at diagnosing social issues, but then they'll, they'll go off on, you know, sort of semi-socialist rabbit holes. And it's like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's not where we want to go. So it's like, we kind of need like bits of everything, you know? So like, yeah. we, we need a kind of a, a good libertarian backbone on, on, you know, certain fiscal issues, but, um but then keep the old school conservative social values. So don't, don't go libertarian there. So, uh, you know, this is kind of my, my build a conservative, but there's not really a market for it at this point in time is the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So going back to writing, uh, what's been one of the most difficult pieces you've ever written?
1: Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. A difficult piece.
0: Difficult Hmm. for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. Difficult for whatever reason. Ah. uh, well, okay, so so one one piece or, or or one or two pieces I guess. Um so I uh I don't know if you were familiar with a figure named Mike Adams. Um okay. So j- just kind of a brief uh, that that's kind of interesting that that you don't know who he is, but just kind of a brief sketch. He was um a conservative writer and speaker. He had a column at Town Hall. And um he, uh, he, he was a gadfly. He was a political science professor in the South and, um, he, he survived multiple cancellation attempts. Um, he went to court with a religious Liberty, uh, case back in the day. Um, so, and he just, he was a bit of a Lenny Bruce figure, you know, he, he had a, a sort of a sharp edge to what he wrote. He could be very funny. He could be, you know, he liked to push the envelope. Um, and, uh, and he was very very well-loved in conservative circles. He was uh, an adult convert to Christianity and conservatism. And so then he became a very passionate pro-life speaker. Um, that was something he spoke and debated on a lot. Uh, kids loved him. He invested in, in young people, uh, Christian ministry conferences. Um, but, you know, he also had some personal issues. And in uh, 2020 summer 2020, he took his own life. And that had huge effects, um, throughout the conservative Christian community, throughout the pro-life community. Um, just so many people that, that he had touched, that he loved, who loved him back. So I, I decided to write a couple of things about that. Um, and that was difficult because it was, it was so dark. Uh, and I had to kind of search for the appropriate um, things to say because uh he he got involved in in twitter um so his his university eventually asked him to retire early for something that he had tweeted and that kind of came as a shock to him because um he wasn't really he was of that kind of older generation doesn't quite understand how twitter works or uh you know how twitter can get you canceled when you when you went for years and years without being canceled before so um you know, that, that kind of hit him hard. So his, his whole kind of life at tragic end was sort of like a, a microcosm of the, the death of a certain era of conservatism in, in, some sense. So I had to kind of pull all of that together. And then, um, and then all of the personal things that I was feeling, the connection that I'd had with him. So I did one piece for the American conservative right after he died. <clears throat> and then I did something on my Substack for the, the first anniversary So those were pretty difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, uh, or not just sometimes, I think almost all the time, it's difficult to make writing on something uh, purely intellectual or business. Um, But our heart is always involved in whatever we write. I think that's why Absolutely. it's so scary. Yeah. It's so scary to publish almost anything. <laughs> uh anything that's like uh that's worth publishing and putting out there. Because yeah. to a certain extent, you're putting yourself and you're putting your heart in something that really matters to you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's how I try to approach my whole um my whole kind of output as a writer. Like I I want to, I want what I write to reveal something about something about my heart. And um, you know, that that can be a little bit vulnerable and yeah. you know, you, you, you decide what to put out there, what not to put out there. Um, but that, that's the, that's the main thing that I, I like for people to take away from what I do because, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I have chops. Yeah. I, I can be funny. I could be, I could be witty. I can kind of turn, turn a phrase. Um, but at the end of the day, all that stuff doesn't matter a whole lot. If you're not sincere, if you're not earnest, um, so I hope that that comes through. I want, above all else, I want my heart to come through.
0: Yeah. So in contrast to which was the most difficult, and I don't know these might overlap, but what are one of the pieces you look back on or articles, essays that you're most proud of?
1: Well, I, I put together quite a few um, in a, a year in review piece that I did last year, which uh, yeah. which you can link for folks in the show notes. Yeah, that'll um, be in the show notes. Yeah so um there's yeah, there's a lot that i could that I could point to that i'm I'm proud of in all um all different ways um a couple a couple that I can highlight um I did a couple of tribute pieces last year, so I did one my grandmother passed away, so I did something that was kind of a tribute to her life and legacy. And, yeah, I mean, she was just one of these, um, hidden wives, you know, like, like the, the quote about a hidden wife, you know, she, she was, uh, she was not a famous person. She, you know, she didn't, didn't write or speak or anything. She just quietly lived her life unto the Lord and, um, ministered to a lot of, of people. So it was a huge privilege for me to, to use my platform as a writer, um, to spotlight and honor her. And I think about, um, there's a passage towards the end of the great divorce where C.S. Lewis is walking in heaven and they see a, a woman coming towards them. And these, she's surrounded by children and animals and like this whole menagerie of, of people who love her. And, and C.S. Lewis is like, who, wow, who is this person? She must be really important. And George McDonald's like, no, you, you wouldn't have heard of her. She was just, Mrs. so-and-so. It's, oh, really? But now here in heaven, she's this, this, person crowned with, with glory and honor. And so that was my grandmother. So that was one. And then another one that I was proud of kind of in a similar vein, um, was about a, a neighbor I grew up with, who was a veteran of world war II. And, um, when I was 11 years old, I had a, a little tape recorder that I used to, um, record some of his memories of the war. And, uh, for whatever reason, he decided to open up to me about things he He hadn't even shared with like his own immediate family. Um, but something about little like little eleven year old me uh just kind of melted his heart and got him to open up and uh so then i I kept those recordings through the years i digitized them and then I went back and i uh blew the dust off and revisited them and kind of put them together in in writing and was just struck by what a what a remarkable story it was you know it in some ways a little bit of an ordinary story um but just just a a a beautiful piece of testimony and just um a, a way, a way, again, a way to honor uh, a, a saint of my life, whom nobody would ever have heard of otherwise. Yeah. Um, and then let's see some some other things I've done. I'm, I'm kind of I'm looking through like my own kind of uh, year in review. So I mean there there's some things that I've written around um around homosexuality. That that's a topic that I that I, I tend to kind of circle back to where I, I've done a lot of reading. Um again that I try to sort of come at in a an atypical way. Um and uh and I'm I I'm I'm just proud of several different things that I've I've written in that vein because again, I want I want to sort of get at the human side of it. So I've written some things that look back at, at the AIDS pandemic. Um and you know, to sort of the the human stories around that and the the human cost, because um, I want to kind of hold all these different things in tension. You know, like I, it's important to write truthfully about it, but it's also important to see the grace of God at work, and it's important to, um, you know, to always have compassion for the lost, to have compassion for the sinner, um, because in the end, you're writing in the hope that God would draw all men to himself. So, um, I feel like that's a tone and a balance that I've been able to strike pretty well in my writing around that topic. Um, and, you know, just, just getting into some of these really dark, difficult waters, um, and hopefully navigating them in a a truthful and compassionate way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. What do you hope for? And, uh, what do you hope to see in your future?
1: Uh, gee, that, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to I, I'd like to do more creative writing. So um I've done a little bit of poetry, but I'd like to do more of that. Um I'd like to maybe put a chat book together. That's what that's what you call it when you get a bunch of them in one place. Um so that's definitely a goal. I'd like to write more short fiction. Um <clears throat> I've I've made like little you know, little dabblings in fiction over the last few years. I I'm terrible at finishing things. Um I get easily distracted. But I, I think I have some ability in that area. So that's an area where I want to grow. Um, I just have to commit and set aside the time for it. Um, and then, I mean, as far as like career wise, I I don't really know. You know, I, I'm at the moment. I'm, I am try to kind of bloom where I planted at a small high school, but I'm probably not going to be here forever. Probably going to take another step later. So, it, you know, it could be continuing to teach at a high school level, could be moving to a, a university level. Um so we'll kind of see I don't know if 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 writing will ever be my my main career like like you know the way I earn my livelihood I think that's gotten really difficult these days um you know you really have to you know it's it's a path it's a train that I would have had to kind of board about 10 years ago um at you know get a certain kind of degree followed by a certain kind of internship um at a certain kind of legacy institution you know And I just kind of missed that train. I'm I'm 29 years old now. And I I think freelancing is sort of, you know, it's sort of the the way of the future, which means that I'm going to probably always have to to do some tent making. And I do that by teaching. But I love doing teaching. And so I'm I'm happy doing that currently.
0: Yeah, awesome. Uh, If you were to go back 10 years and talk to uh, young Bethel, who was just getting started out, what would you tell her?
1: That's a... Yeah, that's a great question. I was, gosh, um, young Bethel had some issues, uh, (laughs) just being real. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was kind of a lonely kid. I, and I I was still learning how the internet worked. Um, and I, I was trying to use the internet for substitute community really was what I think I was doing, um, already then. And that, that, that could be a temptation now. So, um, Think that yeah, that might be one piece of advice that that I would give is you know don't um don't try to turn the internet into a, a place for substitute community because it's not going to be able to do that for you it's not going to be able to give that to you and uh, you know the people that you encounter that way the people you try to make connections with um, the virtual medium it you know when it's not incarnated. That that can only go so far. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of time and emotional energy that I've kind of sunk into that. And, and you know, unfortunately wasted, I think, in hindsight. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I would say I would say maybe do less of that. Um, let's see. What else would I say? Hmm. What do I have? you know, it's interesting because I, I did, I did a whole degree in mathematics, like, which I don't even know that I really use it now (laughs) because I, 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 I didn't just do a master's. I did a PhD. Um, So like that, that was like the track I took. And I I talk about this in my, in my coming out piece, but um, I was trying to avoid humanities so that I would be, you know, politically safe. Um, And now that, I mean, it, it turns out to not be necessary and now I've, I've come out anyway. So it's interesting to think about like, what what would I say to my 18 year old self, knowing that I was going to be out in 10, 11 more years, you know, what I've said, eh, you know, like, don't, don't spend your, your best years getting a math degree, you know, maybe consider getting a humanities degree somewhere else. Instead, um, you know, maybe consider moving out sooner (laughs) because that was something i didn't do for a while um so yeah i'd have to think i i don't i don't i don't know if i necessarily would have taken the same academic path that i did um but uh there is a demand for math teachers that there isn't necessarily uh for for literary teachers and so um you know given like i said that it's so difficult to make a living at writing you really have to be able to do something else, and I can't code. Um, so learn, learn to code is like the, the the phrase for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, may, like maybe I would have said do a master's, but don't do a PhD necessarily. Like you don't you don't really have to do that. You can start looking for work right away. Um, but who knows? Like you know, would I would I be exactly where I am now if I had changed some of these things earlier in my life? Um, you know, like maybe I never would have had the spare time to dive into Jordan Peterson, which wound up being the key that unlocked all this other stuff for me. So, um, you know, it's, I, I am, I am where I am, but I, I think I would definitely say to, to not, um, to not become so emotionally invested in online connection as I, as I did at that time.
0: Yeah. I think that's good. And that's a great, uh, great word and reminder to all of us. Yeah. Um, whether we're building
1: especially a, now at the age of twitter
0: yeah 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 twitter and tiktok and all the other ones uh that i don't understand but yes yeah, so I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. a great word <laughs> great word for all of us um before we go is there uh anything you want to leave our audience with just based on this conversation and your work
1: yeah um i guess uh you know the the be yourself you know <laughs> from from aladdin that's uh that's what i've been kind of discovering this this whole journey is is how to be myself discover who i am um so i guess that sounds a little bit banal but you can you can put a christian spin on it you know discover who uh god has uniquely called you to be what god has uniquely called you to do um and you know to just just follow that and and uh and try not to um, try not to build your life on a certain preset collection of expectations, you know whether those are um, cultural expectations, maybe even church cultural expectations, family expectations, whatever um you know, try to figure out what your particular calling is um and then discern it as best as possible.
0: Awesome, I think that's great. Great way to finish it off. We we started by talking about you, uh, uh, releasing your true identity like Batman, and uh, and so finishing with talking about being yourself full circle. Great,
1: there you go. Great way to wrap. Didn't up. even plan it, but it worked
0: out. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Bethel, just think. Uh, I kept saying it wrong. Bethel. That's, thank that's you. Okay. You're supposed to catch me if I said it wrong. Um uh, but thank you so much for your time and joining us on the show today. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun talking about writing and uh just social issues and everything else. So uh like I said before, I'm a big fan of your writing and so please keep it up. Keep doing well, the great work. Thank you. Work. And
1: I, I, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate these questions because um yeah, this 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 it's not the kind of question that I get to answer very often because um you know, typically it being asked you know what's your opinion on a specific thing we did we touched on that a bit too um but i appreciate the chance to uh talk a little bit more personally about uh about my work what goes into my work what goes into it personally for me so thank you so much for having me on give me the opportunity
0: yeah well you're really welcome i enjoyed it uh, as just as much so once again thank you for joining us on filter thanks for listening I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch the latest from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Shamp. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.